So after we did that test run that I talked about, I'd never seen anything sell that fast, and I, I decided that you know we might have something here. So I went to my friends, I went to people I knew, and decided that we had to raise a bit of money. So I spent a night at my laptop figuring out you know how much it was going to cost to get a formulation, figured out enhanced how, how much it was going to cost to make to buy all these ingredients, and make all this stuff, and I came up with a number, and we went out and we raised that number. Welcome to Babson Bill where we showcase Babson founders and entrepreneurs, people who have tried, failed, and tried again. They're the change makers, the disruptors, the hustlers, and the builders. These are their stories. Hi, this is Wacharapon Tiam Sejak Mongkon, a one-year MBA student at Babson. This week, I interviewed Trevor Grod, the founder of Nectar. Nectar is a delicious CBD beverage infused with the natural ingredients like ginger, turmeric, and of course, honey. Can you talk a little bit about like your company, your product? Of course, yeah. Um, so my company is Nectar CBD Super Drink. We're the first CBD infused juice beverage on uh, the whole East Coast. I've been working in the hemp industry since I was 17. I was a legislative assistant for the Hemp Industries Association in Washington, D.C., fighting for legalization. And then I worked for, you know, a bunch of hemp food companies. And um, I've, I've, I've kind of seen the industry evolve, and I've seen CBD go from this little tiny niche thing to what it's become today, which is, you know, just an absolute explosion. And I wanted to get in on the massive growth that I, I saw happening. And something that I noticed going on in the CBD industry was that all of, all of the brands and companies that we saw um, were really in, embracing the cannabis culture, the pot side of it, which is, which is fine. But, you know, all of the products we saw out there were like Marley Soda or 420 CBD, you know, whatever. It was very in your face. And we wanted something that was a little less intimidating, a little friendlier, something for people who maybe weren't familiar with CBD or they were first-time triers and they were too intimidated by a tincture or something. So we wanted a, a guilt-free beverage, something you could drink in public on the train, you know, wherever you go. And that's what we were shooting for when we started Nectar. So I was living in Brooklyn last summer when I had the idea. We went to a commercial kitchen, came up with a formulation. We made a hundred sample units, test units, and we gave them out of consignment. And they sold out in less than 12 hours. Wow. Uh, and I just, I'd never seen anything sell like that. A bunch of different stores, no promotion, nothing. People really responded to it. And, and they responded to it because I think there's a really big underserved market of people who want a functional cannabis beverage, but they don't want to feel like they're engaging in a vice. You know? okay. Like I said, something you can drink in public. I see. Um, something that's that's not a big deal. Stigma-free CBDs, we're calling it. I see. So for like the audience who may not be familiar with this industry, right? Maybe we can talk like briefly about like what's the difference between like a CBD and THC. Okay, I can try and keep it brief. The cannabis industry encompasses both hemp and marijuana. Hemp is not a drug. There's no THC in hemp. By law, it has to contain less than zero point three percent THC, which is you know almost nothing. Marijuana, obviously, assume most of your listeners are familiar with, with marijuana, what it is and what it does. CBD is a cannabinoid that's found in both hemp and marijuana. And it's a non-psychoactive compound that's used primarily for stress and pain relief. Okay, it's not a drug. It's not going to get so you So it won't stuff. make you high. It won't get you high. Okay. You're not going to get the munchies from, from drinking our drink. But you still get a health benefit from it. Yeah, it's a, it's a health supplement. You know, I, I think I described to you earlier, it's like kale. You know, it's, 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 it's good for you. And CBD that is derived from hemp is federally legal now, as of as of 2018, as of December. I see. And the CBD that comes from marijuana, even though it's chemically identical, is 
down to the molecules, the same thing is illegal on a federal level, which is silly, but that, that's how the laws are right now. Uh, CBD is the fastest growing segment of the cannabis industry. We sold $600 million worth of CBD products in the U.S. This, uh, last year, and we're projected to do $1.5 billion in, in beverages alone, CBD okay. beverages and foods alone by 2022. That's a, a, that's a growth rate of like 1,500%. Wow. Uh, that's it's huge. really just, they ripped the, the doors off this thing when they legalized it, and it's growing fast. Who is your target customer now? Um, our customers are, again, like I said before, a lot of first-time CBD triers, people who lead healthy lifestyles. So it's a super drink. It's made entirely from superfoods. You know, forget about CBD. We have aloe, apple cider vinegar, lemon, ginger, honey, turmeric, which is great for anti-inflammation, which is why a lot of people are using our drink as a workout uh, supplement. So people use it after a workout to help with the recovery process, or they'll use it you know, before a yoga session to help meditate, and relax, and calm down. I see. From what I see, like, for your drink, like, you don't really test the hem or, like, the smell of marijuana or anything, right? Uh, yeah, no. Uh, so we, we use a special kind of CBD. It's called nano-emulsified CBD. And what they do is they take normal CBD, and they normal CBD isn't water-soluble, so nano, they break it up into a trillion little tiny pieces so it mixes well, and that helps a lot with the taste. So It's bitter by itself, but the, the rest of the ingredients totally matter. So, like, I just talked to you, and, like, you mentioned you just started this company, like, uh, last July. Yeah. Right? That's, like, very new, and you get everything out, get your product ready, and start selling. So, can you talk a little bit more about, like, how did you start? Like, how did you, like, source productions, or how would you come up with the... Of course, yeah. yeah. So, after we did that test run that I talked about, I'd never seen anything sell that fast, and I, I decided that, you know, we might have something here. So, I went to my friends, I went to people I knew, and, decide, and decided that we had to raise a bit of money. So uh, I spent a night on my laptop figuring out, you know, how much was it going to cost to get a formulation, figured out and enhanced how, how much it was going to cost to make, to buy all these ingredients and make all this stuff. And I came up with a number and we went out and we raised that number. Where do you raise the money from? We raised the money through friends and family. And so we, we raised our seed money and that we were left with the actual business of, you know, putting all uh, the pieces together and getting something up and running. Like when you are in here, like how do you feel like this is like, Ten months. Uh, ten months. We yeah. so we hit shelves in in the last week of January. It took us. It took us from we incorporate. We did the test run in August, I believe. We incorporated in September, and then from incorporating to getting to a point where we had a sellable product took us the rest of the year. So from September to December, we okay. were just vetting suppliers, finding production facility, getting the artwork and everything done, and then we hit shelves in January. And then since then, you know, we've grown. We're in 30 stores now in the Boston and Rhode Island area. So, yeah, we're excited for the future. So you are an undergrad still, right? Like a junior, sophomore? I'm an, I, I turned in my final collegiate assignment ever this morning. So, oh, yeah, nice and done. Cool, congrats. How does it feel? Like you are you're a student, you have to also work, study, and like how do you manage your time? Like how? I don't want to use expletives. It's, it's tough. It's really tough being a student entrepreneur. I, mean, I was lucky because I finished up most of my credits before, so I was only taking three classes, and you know, even that was a challenge. But uh, one of my co-founders, they would take five full classes. They are taking a wow. full course load. How many co-founders do you have? There's there's uh, four of us. Yeah, so it's a big team, which is nice because there's a lot of work to go around, yeah. especially yeah. when you're student entrepreneurs and everyone's schedule is, is insane. Are you guys like friends before? or like? Yeah, we were, yeah, we were, we were uh, all friends before. 
do you have to deal a lot with like law because this is like a new industry? Like, yeah, absolutely. So there's changes it? happening like week by week. So right? it's crazy. I mean, the whole industry is growing so fast. There's there's not enough guidance from the federal government about you know what's okay and what's not okay. There there needs to be more. There needs to be more regulation. There needs to be clear pathways to getting products into the market. So you know we we've learned to be very light on our feet and, mm-hmm. and deal with. Regulations as they come. So, like, what's the most difficult part about like starting this business so far? So, you know, the thing about entrepreneurship that I, I've really learned from this company is like, no individual thing that you do is like really hard. Going to a store and cold calling a manager, it's not that hard. Mm-hmm. You know, calling somebody and calling a supplier, or whatever, it's, it's not very difficult. What's difficult is doing it over and over and over and over again consistently. It's just piling up, and you're getting more work every day. Yeah, perseverance, consistency. Yeah. You don't have to invent the iPhone to be a good entrepreneur, but you do have to get to work on time every day. So I'd, I'd say that, especially being a student entrepreneur and trying to juggle school and what used to be my social life and, uh, and work, it's a balancing act for sure. Every entrepreneur starts somewhere. Are you looking for your beginning? The Blank Center for Entrepreneurship is where Babson's emerging entrepreneurs connect with the events, workshops, mentoring, and competitions that they need to build their businesses. This spring, the Blank Center will present its new venture competition, the Beta Challenge, which recognizes Babson businesses for taking action. Join the Babson community on Thursday, April 11th at the Beta Challenge finale and watch the top alumni and student teams compete for more than $200,000 in cash and prizes. To learn more, please visit www.babson.edu slash beta challenge. So what's your mission? Like what keeps you up and running and do all this? What do you see yourself in me like the next five years? Why, why are you doing this? Self-love, I guess. I I mean, I always knew I wanted to, uh, I was an entrepreneurial person. I wanted to start a business. That's why I came to Babson. And I always knew that I wanted to do something with hemp. I got into hemp originally because I wanted to do something about climate change. Industrial hemp is one of the most sustainable crops in, in the world. Every single part of the plant could be used to make cost-effective, carbon-neutral products, construction materials, plastics, papers. And I gravitated towards CBD because that's what was growing and that's where the opportunities were. Um, in the future, I'd like to get back closer to that industrial side. In 10 years, the biggest segment of the hemp industry is going to be construction materials because they make this thing. It's called hempcrete. They're not very imaginative the names, but it's uh, the carbon negative. It's essentially a replacement for drywall insulation. Um, it's, a, it's literally just a mixture of, of hemp herd, like the, the woody core of the plant. That just is a waste product. They mix it with lime, the chemical, and water. And it is carbon negative. It actually sequesters carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere throughout the life span of the building. So it's, it's sucking CO2 out of the atmosphere oh. day by day. And it's absolutely chemical free. It's cheap. It, it will be cheap once we, you know, now that hemp is legal and we're growing so much of it. As a direction of this industry goal, like, do you see like marijuana extract, like a THC drink? Do you think like those products will be legalized soon? I, I do. Absolutely. I mean, the, the states that have legalized are just making so much so much money, and it, the taxes are going to good things. I mean, look at Colorado. The crime rate's down significantly. They made something like $100 million in taxes, and that's going to like fund schools and mm-hmm. going to prison reform. It's going to good things. I think it's been an outstanding success. I think all the states are going to want to get it on it sooner or later. You know, we've been approached by companies that wanted to put THC in the drink, um, and that's something, you know, we're open to maybe mm-hmm. in the future, but uh, I, I 
would be shocked if marijuana wasn't federally legal in, in my lifetime. As a undergrad at Babson, like, do you find any like courses in Babson like helps you? How do you like apply into like your business? Oh, I don't want to. I don't want to step on anyone's toes. <laughs> yes and no. So some of the classes here, especially in the entrepreneurship division, are incredibly helpful to, to running your business. I took a class even in this classroom right now called Launch and Grow with Professor Mary Gale. One of the best classes I've taken. It was a collection of student entrepreneurs, do all doing you know all in different industries, running their businesses, and it was. It was a part support group, part lecture series, and, and part networking opportunities. It was great, and I really got a lot out of it. I, all in all, I'd say my business classes were very practical and, and, and very beneficial to, to what we're doing now. Have you ever had like, conflicts with the founders of our business with your friends? Yeah. Absolutely. So starting a business with your friends is something of a terrible idea. It's good. I mean, it's, it's good. We're, all, we're still friends, um, and actually we're probably better for it, but there's, there will be conflict when you start a business especially if there's a big team, especially in an industry like ours where there's so many changes and things are moving so fast. So like, let's say if you want to like, give advice to someone who like, would be a student entrepreneur and they would like to like, start their own business and they're like, trying to find a founder, what, what would be your advice? Ah, uh, yes. Um, well, the, the number one thing that like, is a rule you can't avoid when you're finding people to start business with, it, with is that you need to find people who have a different skill set than you. That's a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. I would highly recommend starting companies with a vesting agreement. A vesting agreement, for people who don't know, is basically an agreement where you agree on, I'm going to get 25% of this company, but that's spread out over two years. So every month I'm giving part of that 25%, and then at the end of two years I'll have it all. That's a good way to protect yourself against a founder maybe not working out or pulling their weight if you have to part ways, which does happen a lot of times in startups. You know, you're not giving someone 25% of the company and then they're just going to go to the beach and hang out while you do the book work. I know like some entrepreneurs someday, like when they wake up and they probably feel like, oh, like I don't want to wake up today. I don't want to work. Like, do you ever have that? And how do you like overcome that? Yeah. So, I mean, like I said earlier, it's a mental game. Having good like self-control and discipline and saying, okay, I'm going to wake up at 9 a.m. every day and I'm going to get this stuff done in the mornings. I'm going to get that stuff done in the afternoons is you know, more important than being a business genius. It's, it's consistency and it's, uh, and it's like having a, a, being in a good mental state where you, where the work isn't work almost. When you're not in a good mental place or, you know, the stress is building up from all, all this stuff because you're not, you know, you're letting work pile up or you're, you're being lazy or whatever, then it could, it could really get hard to stay on top of things. And, well, what do you do when, when those state of mind happen? I don't know. I'm a big nature guy. I, if I'm feeling too stressed out, I'll I'll go and take a take a walk in like the reservoir or, or, I see. or in the that, woods. That's a good one. Reset. Um, that's always helped helped me. That and, and friends. I think one of my problems is that I is that I'm, I I work too much and uh, I don't make time for being a normal human being and you know going out on a Friday with your friends and just kick it back and hang it loose and just remembering that it's it's not always so serious. You said like you raise funds through like friends and families, right? Has there ever been like issue like when like let's say like because there are a lot of like parties involved? Yeah, I mean the more people involved in the business, the more room for conflict there is. We have a pretty big team for a startup, and there's always I mean there has been a lot of conflict because people have different ideas about how we should go about certain things. One of the things that I've learned as a leader, and that the advice I would give to other people about conflict is. Just preaching, you know, patience and uh, cool-headedness. So, like, I when we started out, I, I was a yeller. I would yell a lot, and that is a terrible idea. 
Mm-hmm. That just breeds more conflicts. People start to resent other people. It's, it's bad for everyone. So the best thing you can do as a leader is to just write everything down, like write down your goals and your plans. And then when those deadlines you know, get missed or people don't do what they're supposed to do, bring the plans, you bring the written plan to them and be like, look, you know, why is this happening? Why didn't you get this done on time? What's going on? Because this is like a new industry, right? Like when you do like the marketing plan and everything, like how, how do you like do it? How do you like identify a target group? And like, yeah. yeah. Plans are one thing. And then what actually happens is, is usually pretty different. There's a quote from, I think it was Eisenhower or someone. He said, um, I found that, that plans are useless, but planning is essential. If that makes any sense. We came into the market with essentially no idea of who our target market was. We know that we knew that there were going to be people who were, you know, cared about health, but that's, that's a pretty vague yeah. thing to build a brand on. We also, like, we had a really broad retail strategy where we were in a bunch of different stores. So we were in yoga studios. We were in health food stores. We were also in liquor stores. And we were in shitty convenience shops. So you just, like, keep calling these stores if they, like, would like to, like, get your products? We, yeah, we, we cold call. We show yeah. up. Um, if, if they were hesitant, sometimes we would offer them consignments. Mm-hmm. And the idea was we wanted to see where it sold best. And we wanted to build our demographic profile, you know, from there. Um, so we found out that our customers are mostly women, probably about 60%. Our customers care about social causes. Our company, we donate a percentage of our annual profits to the Honeybee Conservancy, which is dedicated to repopulating honeybee populations around the world. They're so important for the global food supply. We found out that most of our customers are engaged in fitness activities like cycling or yoga, things like that. We use every retail point of sale like an A-B test. And are there a lot of like competitors in the market? Not right now, but there's going to be, for sure. So the reality is that right now there's there's three CBD beverages in Boston, including ourselves. And in a year, you know, there might be 20, there might be 30. I see. Uh, how, how do you plan to handle that? Like, How do you plan to differentiate yourself? It's been nice that we've had this head start before all these products hit the market. Because you know, we incorporated in September. CBD didn't even get legalized on a federal level until December. Um, so we're, we've been doing our best to take advantage of that head start by just kind of staking our claim, doing, you know, running a really aggressive tasting campaign, getting as many people to actually try the product as possible, um, building a brand about around it. You know, we've partnered with the Honeybee Conservancy. We've partnered with um, a, a few different businesses. We're doing co-branded yoga session with Lululemon in the Commons this summer that we're really excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, basically, our plan is, is brand partnerships and aligning ourselves with the right retail channel and the right strategic partners that um, can you know, carve us out in a, a, good, a good niche and a defensible niche. And like how many people are in your company right now? Like, uh, it's, just, it's still just the founders. I uh, so we're... Um, we're like, oh, so you all do everything by yourself? We do everything I, by ourselves. Wow, that's like a real, real, real entrepreneurship. Like real entrepreneur. Yeah. How do you actually like make the dream happen? From like, uh, how do you come up with the formula? How do you like... Um, production. We came up with a really basic formula, an idea of how we wanted it to taste. We wanted it to taste good, but healthy. Once we had a general idea of what we wanted, we hired a consultant to tweak it and make sure that it was shelf-stable, make sure that it was safe, um, and make sure that it had a long shelf life. And so once we had that, you have there's a, a bunch of um, certifications you have to get if you're a food product. You have to get a HACCP plan, you got to get an SOP a bunch of technical things that you got to you know, register with the state. And once we got those, we went to a contract manufacturer, which is pretty standard in the food industry. So we have a small co-packer, they're called, up in Vermont, who manufactures the product. He actually puts the ingredients, 
together and heats it up and you know does all the things that need to get done um, for the drink. Thanks for listening to this week's Babson Built, where we showcase Babson entrepreneurs and founders. If you have a second, please subscribe, rate, and review the show. We take feedback seriously here at Babson Built, and it helps other listeners find us. If you know a Babson entrepreneur who should be featured, email us at babsonbuilt at gmail.com.